mo good morning, everyone. I forgot to put my mic on there. <laughs> Telling me in the back, you won't be able to talk without your mic on. So anyway, glad you all are here today. Uh, today we are continuing on in our series that we've entitled "Why," and we are simply answering some, uh, trying to give some real answers to some difficult questions that people ask. I get emailed questions all the time. Well. And we've tackled some already in the past. Why do we trust the Bible? And why do I need to go to church? And you can look at those online. Today we're going to be talking about, well, why does God allow suffering and evil? I mean, if God's a good God, why doesn't he just get rid of suffering and evil? And that's a good question. And today I want to talk with you about it. So if you need a pen, raise your hand. One of the ushers would be glad to bring one to you. Um, but I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. And we're going to jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I want to thank you that we have a a chance to look at your word, and uh, your words are guide in all matters of faith and practice. And there's some very helpful answers in your word. And uh, Lord, it's important that we listen to them. So I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way, and you'll bring us comfort and hope today as we talk about why it is or how it is we're supposed to deal with um, evil and suffering in this world. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, point one on your outline inside your bulletin, you'll just find an outline uh, entitled, Why Does God Allow Suffering and Evil? And point one on your outline reminds us that we live in a fallen world where there is much suffering and evil. We do. We live in a fallen world. Um, I know that uh, some of you know this, but uh, we have three sons. Well, before our oldest son was born, uh, a year before that, we had a little girl uh, named Taylor Catherine, and she only lived for a couple hours. She was born prematurely, and she passed away. And um, it was one of the hardest things my wife and I have ever had to go through. And we had been in ministry. I had left a, uh, an engineering job to go into ministry and other things. And I'll never forget, I had a, a person involved in that ministry come up to me, and they said, well, John, I don't understand something. I mean, you've done everything right. I mean, you're one of the good guys. You've gone into full-time ministry, all these things, and yet this still happens to you. I mean, does this shake your faith in God? And I went, no, it does not. Um, and I went through some of the reasons that I'm going to be sharing with you today. But the first one is simply this, that we live in a fallen world where there is suffering and evil. And the great news about the Bible is it tells us how God is dealing with this and gives us the hope of heaven. And we'll get to that in a minute. But here's how this happened. In Genesis 3... It says, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? This is God speaking to Adam and to Eve. They were hiding in the garden. Uh, they had, God had given them specific instructions not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden. And they could eat the fruit off of all the other trees, just not that one. Yet the devil tempted them to eat, tempted Eve. She ate, gave some to Adam. He ate too, and now they're hiding. And God says, have you eaten from the fruit, uh, tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, oh, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And this, well, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate. And then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you'll give birth. And you'll desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It'll grow thorns and thistles for you, though you eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you'll return. I mean, if you've been to a funeral when people say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that's where it comes from. If you've worked hard to build something up only to see it all tumble down, if you've been disappointed and hurt in life and you've watched loved ones die, 
This is part of the problem. This is what the Bible says. This all came because of point A, pain, suffering, and death occur because our world is under God's curse. I hope you caught that. Cursed is the ground because of you. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Death and decay. Part of the curse. Also, it was all caused because of sin. That's the next verse here, Romans 5, 12. And when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned, and the wages of sin is death. God had told them that when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And so death entered the world because of sin, and the curse came because of sin. That's why there's thorns and thistles and pain and death and hurricanes and floods and fires and all sorts of disasters. The world wasn't created that way. It's, been, it's become that way because sin entered the world. And so we live in a world that's decaying and it's soaked in sin. God created it perfect and it fell. This is what the Bible teaches And it's terribly important for us to understand that. Well, why would that be so important? Well, because when you understand where we are and how we got here, you'll also understand in a minute when how God sent his son into the world to save the world and give us hope of heaven where things won't be that way anymore. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? We're going to get to that in a minute. But none of that makes sense unless you understand this is where we are. And there'll be many people in this world who are trying to make sense of a world that's filled with turmoil and other things without the understanding, the proper understanding of how we got here. So pain and suffering and death occur in our world because we're under God's curse. Also, much suffering and evil occur because of the devil. There is a devil, a fallen angel, the greatest of all of God's creations. He's the one who tempted Adam and Eve to rebel. Deed of the fruit. Disguised as a serpent, he's the one who told Eve, you won't die. God's just keeping the best from you. He just doesn't want you to be like him. If you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know better than he does. Go ahead and take it. He's just holding out on you. That was the temptation. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil, the commander, that's 1 Peter 5, 8. Here's Ephesians 2, 2. The devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I mean, it's not just that we sin and choose to do evil. It's that we are tempted to do so, and there is an evil being, and he's assisted by a third of the angels in heaven who joined him in a coup against God and were cast out of heaven. And they are busy at work orchestrating evil things. And when you study the Holocaust, when you see horrible atrocities done on a gigantic scale, so what what... What's behind all this? And the Bible would say, well, there is an evil entity, the devil, and he is restless. Uh, He never sleeps, and he is always busy doing this. Point C, much suffering and evil occur due to sinful choices made by us and by others. I mean, if you watch the news from Charlottesville this week, if you see people marching with swastikas in America... Okay, that's an evil choice. Nobody's making people do that. 
If you saw the reports from Barcelona where people are driving, a, a man's driving a van, running over, killing 13 people, injuring 100 more. Well, that's an evil choice. Is the devil inciting people to do this? Oh, yeah, but people are choosing to do these things. Those are evil choices that people make, and the consequences are incredibly painful. What's causing all the quarrels and fights among you? James talks about the sinfulness of our hearts. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Evil choices. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction, and the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And you understand how they even work together. Because there can be a natural disaster like a flood or a fire, and then you hear the reports of people looting after the flood and the fire. I mean, where it's even compounded. Or there's international aid sent to a place after a big earthquake, and you find there's organized crime stealing the goods that are sent over there. And you go, oh my goodness. So it's compounded. And it's because we live in a fallen world. And there are many people who have been deeply wounded and deeply hurt. And they're going, how in the world could there be a good God and he allows all this, happen, all this to happen? The Bible sets out that this was not God's intent. He created the world to be perfect. A perfect environment where men and women could love him and live in harmony with him. But it's our sin that drove the wedge. And we've inherited a sin nature. It's exactly the same as what Adam and Eve had. Flip your outline over. Then There are a couple of questions under the heading then of the topic for today. Well, why does God allow suffering and evil? I mean, the first question is, well, why did God allow Adam and Eve to be tempted in the first place? I mean, if all this happened because they chose to rebel, why didn't he just take away the choice? I mean, no tree, no temptation, no problem. Well, the problem, the answer is simply this, that God gave Adam and Eve a free will because love is a choice. I mean, when the guy in Barcelona chooses to drive that van, that's a choice. For someone to sacrifice their life in order to save someone, that's also a choice. If you give someone the ability to love, the freedom to love, you also give them the freedom to hate. The freedom to obey also carries with it the risk of freedom of disobedience. And he wants children, not machines. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. I mean, it's important for us to understand this, that God doesn't just want uh, machines uh, running back a recording to him. I mean, if he did, well, let me just give you an illustration of how silly this all would be. Read my note from today. Here's what I found. Your note from today says, John, you are amazing. I love you so much. You are dashing and handsome and the best preacher I've ever heard. Would you like to hear the next one? No, that's enough. Sorry, I can't help you with that. Okay, yeah, okay, well, anyway, we'll leave her alone. Siri loves me. Did you hear her? She thinks I'm dashing and handsome and the best, best preacher she has ever heard. And if you believe that, I've got some beachfront property in Arizona, I'd like to sell you too. Okay, look, 
I mean, how ridiculous would it be to say, I mean, Syria has no choice but to read whatever I dictate to her. I dictated that earlier today, and she just reads it back. Well, why didn't God make a world where there was no choice, and we just do that? Well, if that's satisfying to you, and you could go, okay, I feel loved if I hear my note from today. I mean, none of us would. In fact, we all know how wonderful it is when you're in a relationship with someone. Of course, you run the risk that they'll reject you, but how wonderful it is when somebody chooses you in spite of your flaws, and they forgive you anyway, and they stand by you even when you blow it. God wants us to love him and trust him, even when we don't understand him. You can eat the fruit from all those other trees, just not this one. Just trust me. And this is the choice he asks from us because he wants genuine love. He wants it freely given. We keep thinking, well, the, we just got to get rid of the choices. No, what God wants to do is change our hearts so we willingly give him that love. But of course, when you invite the freedom to love, you invite the freedom of rejection and pain. And there's not a one of us who hasn't experienced that too. But it's what makes the relationships of love in our life so very sweet. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, not machines. Here's another question. Well, why didn't God make the devil out of better stuff then so he wouldn't rebel? I mean, if the devil's the one who rebelled and the devil's the one who tempted Adam and Eve, I mean, he's this powerful angel. Why didn't he make him out of better stuff? Well, the answer is the devil was the highest and best of God's creation before pride consumed him. It has nothing to do with how good a stuff you're made of. It has everything to do with still back to the choice of whether you're going to use the brain you have and the love you have or if you're going to surrender your life to God's will or go your own way. I mean, pride is the indicator here. Here's what Ezekiel 28, 14 says, uh, describing the devil, I anointed you and ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace. I expelled you, O mighty guardian. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. When Jesus is speaking plainly about people who have been given much, here's what he says. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. I hope you never make the mistake of thinking people like Adolf Hitler were just stupid. He was wicked, but he was not stupid. All the intelligence and all the abilities that God gave that man, he used for evil. The devil isn't stupid. He was made out of the best stuff, and that's why he can commit the greatest sin. I mean, a woman who's very beautiful can use that beauty for good or for evil. A man who's very intelligent can use his intelligence to design a cure for cancer or design a weapon that would take out a city. The question is not whether we're good enough stuff. The question is what will we use it for and whom will we serve? The third question about suffering and evil, well, why doesn't God just destroy suffering and evil now? Okay, okay, all right, I understand. But why doesn't he just say, okay, no more, end it. Let's get rid of sin and suffering and evil right now. The answer is God will one day do exactly that. He will destroy suffering and evil. That's known as judgment day. And it will all be done. 
And the Bible speaks very plainly that that day is coming and coming soon. But he is compassionate and kind, giving more time for sinners to repent. You see, when God gets rid of sin and all evil, he's going to do a complete job. Well, God, I want you to get rid of evil that I don't like, but leave my stuff alone. You know the person I won't forgive? The sinful habit that nobody else knows about? Leave that alone. Those bad people over there deal with their issue, not mine. Mm. Peter said it this way, the Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. This is his promise to return. And Peter is writing about exactly this in 2 Peter 3. He says, people think Jesus is never coming back. Ah, it's an old wives' tale. People have been saying about it forever. He's not going to return. And Peter says, no, a day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. He isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Uh, I'll read you a little bit of Psalm 103. I didn't have room to put everything in the bulletin here. This is starting with verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. That's Psalm 103. And please understand this, is that God created the world good because of sin it fell. Death, decay, sin, spiraling. And if he was to stop it all, well, he'd have to stop it all, but I'm a sinner too. So are you. And we verify that every day. We say things we wish we hadn't said. Anybody ever had that happen? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. You don't, because we all know it's true. We do things in anger, and then later on go, oh, I didn't even have all the facts. Or there's an opportunity, it's wide open for us, and we don't take it because of fear, or we don't take it because we, we don't want to do it, or we're lazy, or we procrastinate, or whatever happens. And then later we go, oh, this is my life, this is your life, and we know it. So we live in a fallen world where there's a curse on creation. The devil is active, and sinful human beings make terrible choices, and we suffer the consequences. So what has God done about it? Well, that's point three. What has God done about it? Well, A, God sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, in order to free us from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. This is why Jesus Christ came into the world to pay the penalty for my sin and yours. It's like I owed a trillion dollars. I can't pay it. And Jesus paid my debt in full. Yours too. That's what he did on the cross. We owe a sin debt to God that we can never pay. God showed how much he loved us. This is John writing in 1 John 4. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. Now this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is the good news of the gospel. That although we are sinful and make sinful choices, although we rebel against God the same way Adam and Eve did, 
God sent his son into the world because he loves us so much, and his son took a penalty that, was, that I should have been paying. And that's the good news of the cross. He paid the penalty for my sins. For yours too. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. This is why we worship him. Now it's important to note here, in order for him to be the perfect sacrifice, he had to become a human being just like us. And the writer of Hebrews says, this high priest of ours, speaking of Jesus, he understands our weaknesses. So he faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and, he, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I mean, think about this. The Bible says not only did Jesus come and pay the penalty for our sins, but because the only way for him to pay the penalty was to become a human being and die in our place, he experienced all the things we do. He knows what it's like to be rejected by his friends. They all deserted him. He knows what it's like to be judged. The religious establishment spit on him, mocked him, laughed at him. He knows what it's like to be murdered. He was nailed to a cross. He knows what it's like to be rejected and scorned and hated and poor. You can go down the list. There's nothing that any of us have experienced that he hasn't experienced more. And that's why we can come to him at any time. And the writer of Hebrews says, come to him anytime. He understands you. People say, well, if we live in this fallen world, and okay, we have to make these choices, but I don't even feel like God even understands me. If there's anyone in the whole universe who understands you and me, it's Jesus. He knows what it's like to have friends die. He knows every circumstance. And he loves us. And he's there to give us strength and help and to pay the penalty for our sins. Point B, through Christ, God has also given us his Holy Spirit to free us from the controlling power of sin. Not only to free us from the penalty of sin, but the controlling power of sin. I mean, before I come to Christ as a sinner, of course I sin. It's not like I even had a chance to do something else. Fish swim, birds fly, sinners sin. But when I surrender my life to Christ, what's amazing is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he transforms me from the inside out. And this is something. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'll ask my Father, and he will send the Comforter to you, the Holy Spirit, and he'll be in you. Listen to what Paul writes about this in Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And this is what we experience. When we come to Christ, we experience now for the first time ever, all of a sudden we have a choice. And there's power now to overcome those sins. And it's such wonderful news. I mean, the gospel is such incredibly great news. God loved us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, come to me. I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll ask the Father, and he'll send the Holy Spirit to you, and he'll be in you. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll change you from the inside out. He'll give you the power you never had before. 
Can I get an amen on that one? There's a really subdued crowd here for those of you watching online. <laughs> okay. But this is all good news. I mean, what would I say to a fallen world? Well, Jesus Christ came into the world to pay the penalty for our sins, which is what caused it. Well, how are we supposed to live in this fallen world? Well, he gives us the power to be overcomers. Listen, to, look at this next note, 1 John 4, 4. The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. The devil is not stronger. God wins. Consider, here's another note. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And what's so amazing is, is that God works in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us even through the painful circumstances. Over and over again, he works in our lives to mature us, make us mature and complete. And all of a sudden, five years later, ten, sometimes ten months later, we're a completely different person because we've been through a pain or a hardship and because God has shown us how we can use even that difficult circumstance to help others and to glorify his name. And all of a sudden we emerge from it and say, you know, it's the strangest thing. That was the most painful thing I ever went through in my life, but God used it for good. I trust him more now than I ever did. I'm not near as materialistic as I was. I've shared with some of you before, one of the most amazing testimonies at a funeral I ever gave was a fellow who found out that he had pancreatic cancer and only had a few weeks to live. I mean weeks when they diagnosed it. He made amends with as many people as he could. He came to see me right after the diagnosis. He said, I've never been in church. I've never really given my life to the Lord before. and I've never surrendered anything. I realize now I'm going to die and I'm not ready to die. And we talked about it. We prayed. And he said, I want to make amends wherever I could. And he made as many things right as he possibly could. Talked to him a few days before he died. And I said, well, what are you thankful for in your life? And he said, I know this is probably something you're never going to hear from anybody else, but I thank God for pancreatic cancer. And I thank God he gave me a few weeks to deal with some things because there were some things I needed to make right that I should have made right years ago. Well, if you understand things from the Bible's perspective, all that makes sense. That's not a delusion. Those aren't just kind words. It's true. Point C, through Christ has given us the promise of heaven where we, where we will be free from the presence of sin. And if after that, if you would write the word forever. 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 We'll be free from the presence of sin. Now this is important because we live in a fallen world now. But our hope through Christ is not only that God will forgive us, not only that he'll empower us to live in this broken world and even use the hard things in our life to mature us, amazingly, but that we have the promise of heaven that when we die, we go to a place where there'll be no more sin or sorrow ever again. John, writing in Revelation 21, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Somebody say hallelujah right here. You got to jump in. Help me out. Thank you. Okay. All these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. 
I mean, this is the promise of heaven. No, we do not live in heaven right now. We live, well, I'm in Alabama, and it's not perfect, okay? We live in a fallen world. But not only do we have forgiveness from Christ, not only do we have his Holy Spirit to empower us and to mature us in this fallen world, we have the hope of heaven that when we die, we will go to a place where everything is made right forever. The devil will be pitched headfirst into hell, Everything will be set right, and there'll be no more sin or death or pain or crying ever again. Now, my friends, this is, what, this is the good news we have to tell people. That's why the note here is, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. What God wants is for, us, for him to take away the penalty of sin, he wants us to repent. For him to empower us through the Holy Spirit, he wants us to surrender all of who we are. And for us to realize the promise of heaven, he wants us to trust him when we live in a world where so many things are so evil and there's so much suffering. God gives us hope. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us new life. And he gives us the power to overcome. That's why we're ambassadors of this, because this is called good news. Now, if you're wondering, do I have this question asked me? I have this question asked me all the time. People say, well, I understand. I mean, that's a pretty good presentation there. Enjoy that. But, you know, I'm not sure I'm in on that. And I go, well, okay, what's your explanation? And I would ask you to ask people that. What's your explanation? How are you going to deal with it? Because the truth is, we do live in a fallen world where there are hurricanes and floods and fires and people do die and where people do unspeakably horrible things to other people. What's your explanation? And they go, well, you know, it's just the way things are. Well, if that's just the way things are, what's going to ever make them better? And by the way, where did we get the idea it was a bad thing anyway if that's just the way they are? The reason we believe it's bad is because things were created good and fell. Not because they're slowly getting better. This is a solid answer to a hard question. And we have great hope because of Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to discuss some real answers from the Bible. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son into the world to pay the penalty for our sin. I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to give us the power to overcome sin. And I thank you for the promise of heaven where we'll be set free from sin forever. The presence of it. I pray, Lord, you'd convince us of these good news, of this good news, of these good things. And that you'd make us ambassadors of this. This is why it's so important. We live in a fallen world where these things are happening. And we have a message of hope and forgiveness and restoration. I pray also that you'd remind us to pray a lot and be very careful about the words we say. Because there are many people around us who need hope and healing. And they feel deeply saddened and they don't feel like you love them very much. I pray, Lord, you'd give us the right words to say and we could show compassion to them and we can tell them how much you've loved us. 
pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We couldn't think of any better way to um, wrap up the service than by 